Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Welcome, Facebook. Glad you could join us this morning. Praise the Lord. We already prayed over the Word. We, uh, so we're going to get right into it this morning. We're having some technical difficulties, but they're being worked out by our sound man right now. But I'd like for you to turn to 2 Samuel, the 19th chapter. 2 Samuel 19, we're going to start with verse 9. I'll be reading in the Message Bible. As you're turning there, let me give you a little background. Uh, Joab, the leader of King David's armies, had just defeated and killed David's son, Absalom, who had rebe rebelled against his own father and tried to take over the kingdom, sit on his father's throne. And King David had to flee the palace. And he didn't return to his throne as of yet because he was mourning the loss of his son, Absalom. So we'll pick it up here in 2 Samuel 19 and 9. It says, Meanwhile, the whole populace was now complaining to its leaders. Wasn't it the king who saved us time and again from our enemies and rescued us from the Philistines? And now he has had to flee the country on account of Absalom. And now this Absalom, whom we made king, is dead in battle. So what are you waiting for? Why don't you bring the king back. And so David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak to the, the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? Since the words of all Israel have come to the king to his very house, you are my brethren, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? He captured the hearts of everyone in Judah. They were unanimous in sending for the king. Come back, you and all your servants. You know, I've been watching closely and pondering, probably like many of you, the current political climate in our country and the political rhetoric that's going back and forth and the civil unrest, the protests, the riots, the rebellion that's in the streets. And, but the one thing that stands out more than anything else at least to me, is the Antichrist sentiment that's being boldly displayed all across our country. And the people that are protesting are pushing for some really radical and far-fetched cha uh, change and demands, if you think about it a minute. We're hearing defund the police, eliminate the Electoral College, alter the Constitution. I mean, these are pretty radical demands. Uh, Socialize health care, change this, uh, the structure of the Supreme Court, abolish the Second Amendment, and close the churches, just to mention a few. And these are extreme changes, and if ever imp implemented, would bring irreparable damage to the very infrastructure of our country. And some politicians are even calling for the church to change the way it thinks. They say the church is antiquated. It's outdated, and it needs to evolve. In other words, they want the church to adapt to the current culture 
and the demands of the modern way of doing things. And, but in order for the church to do that, in order for the church to change, they would have to change the Word of God. And that's not going to happen. Because the Word of God is the very foundation that the church is built upon. It's built upon the revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so in order to uh, cause the church to so-called evolve, we would have to change the Word of God. And before I go any further, let me just say this before somebody starts judging me. This is not about a political party. This is not about uh, the color of one's skin or the creed or nationality or where they came from. It's not about any political affiliation. It doesn't make any difference who you are or where you came from. This is about what the Bible says is right or wrong. And I'm preaching from the standpoint of the Bible, the Word of God. And it's not my opinion. It's not your opinion. It's God's opinion. It's what God says in the Word. And so from that platform is where I'm going to be preaching from this morning. And I know it'll cross over into some areas that somebody's not going to like, but I'm going to stick with the Word. I'm not going to try to side with any particular group of people or parties, but I'm just going to tell you what the Word of God says. And I'm going to tell you, in my opinion, why I think America is in the condition that she's in today. Um, it's about what the Bible says is right or wrong, good or evil. And again, it doesn't have anything to do with what we think. The only thing that should really matter, especially to us as Christians, those that are called according to his name and according to his purpose, the ecclesia, those that are called out from among the world, the church, uh, uh, at least with us, we should be concerned with what God thinks and what God says and not the opinion of any man or any party. And like I said, if God says something's right, it's right. If he says it's wrong, it's wrong. If God says it's a sin, it's always been a sin. It will always be a sin. And I don't care how modern or how progressive society might become, God hasn't changed his mind or position on anything that's in the Bible. He's the same God uh, in the New Testament that he was in the Old Testament. We're living under a period of grace and mercy. This is true, but God hasn't changed. Amen? The Word hasn't changed, and God and the Word is not going to adapt to any generation, any culture, or any time. And the church, the ecclesia, is not a brick-and-mortar building like some people think it is. It is a body of believers. It is a living organism. It's made up of you and me. Lively stones, Peter called us, and they're put together and they build a holy habitation called the spiritual temple of God. As a matter of fact, Paul said that we're temples because we house the living God. The spirit of God dwells in us. So we're the temple of the living God. And so uh, uh, the body of Christ has a head and his head, the head's name is Jesus Christ. We might be the body, but he's the head. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but your body doesn't function without the head. The head tells the body what to do. Move your hand, raise your arm, move your legs, walk here, walk there. The head determines what the body does. So we can't change what the body is destined to do because the head is giving us direction. Amen? Amen. And so, you know, the church can't, can't change the way it thinks. 
because we believe in something that the Bible calls immutable, which means it's unchangeable, and that's the Word of God. We believe in the Word of God, and it is unchangeable. It is unshakable, uh, and we believe that it is undeniably inerrant. It is perfect in every way because God, although men penned it, God is the author, the Holy Ghost is the author, and he's the one who wrote it. Amen? And Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And the writer of Hebrews said that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And Malachi said, I am the Lord God and I change not. Jesus doesn't change. God doesn't change. The word doesn't change. His son doesn't change. They cannot change because they're one. Amen. And uh, they'll not change or adapt to the ways of the world. They'll not change or adapt to a culture or a generation or what any man may think or say. Amen. We have to make sure that's clear to everybody. God doesn't change. The word doesn't change for nobody. Not for me, not for you, not for somebody that's marching in the streets. The word doesn't change. And we have to stick with the word. Amen. See, the Apostle Paul said, let God be true, but every man a liar. It doesn't make any difference what man says. If God says something different, it's what God says that counts, not what some man says. And as far as I'm concerned, elephants will roost in trees, and hell will turn into a tropical rain garden before I try to change the word or try to change the way I preach or try to change the way that I think because I have the mind of Christ, and I hold the thoughts, purposes, and intents of his heart. Amen. Amen. Not a political party, not a political candidate, not an affiliation. I hold the thoughts and purposes of God's heart, God's mind. Amen. And I can't change that. So uh, the devil wants us to believe that we have come to the place in our country where the word of God is no longer relevant. That's the word for yesterday. It's not relevant today. It doesn't fit with today's culture. It doesn't fit with today's society. It don't fit with the signs of the times. Therefore, the church must evolve and adapt to the world, adapt to man's way of thinking, adapt to this new culture. And not only are they telling us that we have to accept the change, but that we have to adapt to the change. In other words, we have to make accommodations for it. And if God said something is a sin, whether it's abortion, homosexuality, uh, alcohol, alcoholism, whatever God says is a sin, we have to accept that as a sin. We can't change that. Yeah. Amen? And I know I've said this for years, that we have to accept the sinner, but we don't accept the sin. We don't adapt to the sin. We don't adapt to the sinner. We offer him the same thing that was offered to us, the unchangeable, immutable word of God, and allow them the opportunity to change, just like we had to do. I don't care what the sin is, how big or how small, or black or white, or a little sin or what. Uh, sin is all the same to God. My sin is just as bad as your sin, and your sin is just as bad as my sin. We don't categorize sin. Amen? And if God tells me that I can no longer sin, if he tells me to be holy because he's holy, then that goes for everybody, regardless of what they're involved in. 
Love the sinner, hate the sin. Amen? So uh, they're trying to get us to believe that God is going to have to change his ways to accommodate this modern society, and it's going to have to be done through the church, not this church. And many of our politicians, uh, with the help of our so-called higher institutes of learning, have succumbed to the Antichrist spirit and has slowly and methodically been pushing God out of every aspect of our nation. They've been pushing him out. And, and now there's an all-out attack on the church itself. And if you don't think that the church is under attack, you better t- think again. Our government, for the most part, not everybody, but for the most part, has rejected God. And they have been doing it for the last 40 or 50 years. And the things of God, and based on what we're seeing in the streets, that seems to be the, uh, a large part of the majority that's, that we're seeing in the streets today. But I don't believe it to be true as a whole because there's a silent majority that hasn't spoken up yet, that has, has not weighed in yet, and it's going to be weighing in real soon. This silent majority is going to speak up. And they're going to find out that they do not hold the majority. They're going to find out that there's more that are with us than there are with them. Amen. And uh, they're going to find out that things aren't going to be the way that they're planning on them being. And the thing that concerns me the most is that a large segment of the church, entire denominations, entire churches, and I'm not talking about little churches. Yes, they're involved. Like Brother Darrell preached, there's a big ship and there's little ships. There's big churches and there are little churches. And you better make sure that you're in the right ship when it sails. Amen? But, you know, uh, some of these churches, even the mega churches, have succumbed to this Antichrist spirit. And they're starting to embrace things that God, uh, Jesus, the Holy Ghost, and the Word would never embrace. And they're embracing these things. And I don't know how they're justifying them through the word, but I guess they're just ignoring portions of the word that don't agree with their agenda, that uh, don't agree with what they're trying to push, and they're ignoring it. That's the only way I could see anybody doing that. But uh, Jesus said, not everyone that calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father uh, who is in heaven will enter in. And on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Now, if you're doing things that are not in line with the word of God, you are breaking God's laws. If you're doing things or Uh, siding with people that are doing things or advocating things that God would never advocate, that God would never do, then you're a breaker of God's laws, and you will answer to him. And it seems like some churches believe that the word of God has changed because with some of the things they're doing and accepting, they certainly can't be following the same Bible that we're following. Amen. Paul said there's going to be more than one gospel preached, but there's only one true gospel. And it is the same gospel that Jesus preached. It's the same gospel that Paul and the other disciples preached. It's the same gospel that was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. 
and we can't change that gospel. Jesus said, when this gospel is preached in all the world, then shall the end come. He didn't say when a gospel is preached. He said this gospel, the same one that he preached, when this gospel is preached in all the world, then shall the end come. Then Jesus will return. So Paul said, if anybody's preaching any other gospel, let him be accursed. So there's more than one gospel being preached out there. Uh, trust me when I say this, there are churches, mega churches, that are preaching another gospel, not the same gospel that Jesus told us to preach. And they better be careful because when God judges that and, and the hammer falls, it's going to fall on the church first. God said, let judgment begin where? In the house of God. So that's what I'm concerned about. Uh, you know, I'm concerned with what's going on in the street. I'm concerned with the civil unrest that's going on in the, in the country, in the world for that matter. But I'm more concerned about the church because the church is supposed to give direction to a dark and lost world, not the other way around. And so uh, Jesus warned us, and I've already preached on this on different occasions, that there's going to be a deception in the last days. And he said, if it's possible, it would deceive even the very elect, the chosen of God, the ministers of God, the pastors and teachers and apostles and evangelists. It, it, that's the elect. He said, even the very elect will be deceived. And that's what's happening in some of these big churches. The elect have been deceived. For in order for them to do something that Christ would never advocate, they have to be deceived. I don't think they would openly... Uh, defy God, at least not in their right minds. But even Jesus said that there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And that's what he's talking about. Uh, you know, having a cross or a tall steeple on a building does not make it a church. Amen. Amen. Any more than a Jesus bumper sticker make you a Christian. You can call yourself a church or call yourself a Christian, but if you advocate and side with the things that God opposes, then you're not either one. You're not a church of Jesus Christ, and you are not a Christian because Christian means Christ I am. It means I'm a follower of Christ. And if you're doing things that Christ wouldn't approve of, you're not following him. Don't call yourself a Christian. Repent. And get saved and then call yourself a Christian. When you start doing what the master taught us to do. Amen. If you support ideologies, I can't name them specifically. I mean, I can, but I shouldn't. But if you support ideologies that are opposed to the word of God, you know what they are. I don't have to tell you. If you promote or advance unrighteous, ungodly lawless agendas that are hostile to the cause of Christ, if you support a person or any cause that advocates anything that God opposes, then God will hold you accountable. I don't care how big a church is or how long you've been going there. He's going to tell you, get away from me, you who break God's laws. If you don't support and advocate for Israel... The church, the sanctity of marriage, the family, the right to life. You can't call yourself a Christian if you're aligning yourself with things that Christ would not align himself with. 
if you say you're a follower of Christ, then you need to be following him, not going in the direction of another leader or another king. You can't identify with an organization, a party, or a person that advocates, or for that matter, even remains silent with issues that our God opposes. And I'm going to say this as boldly as I can. You may choose to ignore the word of God or look the other way concerning some of these things. But when you stand before God, the one thing you won't be able to say is that you didn't know. You got the same word that I've got. And you should have your nose in it and you should be finding out what pleases the master. You should be finding out from the word of God what's right or wrong what's good or bad or evil, and you should be finding out the things that Christ would and wouldn't do because you should be following him. Our country is in the condition it is because we push God out of our country, out of our government, out of our courthouses, out of our public places, out of our schools, and we're pushing him out of the Constitution. We don't want him on our money. We don't want his name mentioned in the Pledge of Allegiance. We don't want him on a sports field. We don't want him anywhere in this country. And, and he's going to hold us accountable. We let it happen. And as if that's not bad enough, now we have pastors and congregations that pushed him out of their churches. God's not going to sit in a church that opposes him. God's not going to sit in a church or attend a service where the people are not following him. They have another agenda. They have another leader they're following. And he's not going to sit there and be insulted. God is not flighty. But he's like anybody else. He's not going to stay or go where he's not welcome. Amen. You won't do it. Why should he? You won't put up with a bunch of junk. Why should he? This is what's wrong with America today. We push God out. We told God we don't want you. We want you to mind your own business and leave us alone. That's basically what we told him as a country. In our opening scripture, King David asked the question. He asked, why then are you the last to bring back the king? So apparently everybody accepted the king back except his own people. Uh, I mean, that question was directed to the elders of Israel and the religious leaders of that day. And that same question is being directed to the pastors and the churches of this day. Same question. And how do I know he's talking about the churches and the pastors of this day, the leaders and the elders of this day, because he said, why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? Since the words of all Israel have come to the king to his very house. And then he says, you are my brethren, you are my bone and my flesh. In other words, you're the body of Christ. You're my body. Why are you the last to bring the king back? And it's a question that's relevant to every church that embraces anything that God opposes. Any church that's not following after God and the word of God, they are opposed to God. They're at enmity with God. Brother Hagen, our spiritual father in the faith who went on to be with the Lord several years ago now, 
He said that God is going to hold the church responsible for the way our nation is today. Why? Because we failed to pray. We failed to stand up for our God and stand up for our beliefs and the standards that were set forth in the word of God. We failed to stand up for that. In other words, the church has compromised and allowed the spiritual decline that we're seeing in this country right now. And it didn't happen overnight. It happened here a little, there a little, uh, precept upon precept, line upon line. It didn't happen overnight. It happened subtly over the last 40 or 50 years. And we stood by and watched it. If only the church would have stood up and prayed... You know the old adage, the squeaky wheel is, get, is the one that gets the oil. Well, the church hasn't been squeaking for a long time. The church hasn't voiced its opinion or God's opinion for a long time. We sat back and took it. We sat back when they passed Roe versus Wade. We sat back when they took prayer out of the schools. We sat back when they took the Ten Commandments off the courthouse walls. We stood back when they took... The, the nativity scene out of all the public places that we pay taxes for to maintain. Now we can't even uh, put a nativity scene there or a, a little basket with Jesus in it. The church allowed that. We allowed, we stood by and allowed the sanctity of marriage to be trampled underfoot. When God says that marriage is between one man and one woman, we allowed it to to be between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. And again, love the sinner, hate the sin. But do I need to go on? I mean, that's why this upcoming election is so critical for these times in our nation. That's why the church has to come together in unity in one court and stand up. We stood up, or part of us stood up for the last election, and we squeaked in a victory. But I, I guarantee you, a greater portion of the church stayed seated during that election. We can't afford to do that this time. I'm not telling you who to vote for. That would be wrong. That would be illegal. But I'm telling you to vote. You need to vote. Amen. You need to get up out of your chair, your sofa, get away from the television, go to the polls and vote in November. Amen. But before we answer the question, why are you the last to bring back the king? Let me raise another question. Why did the king leave in the first place? You'll be surprised how strikingly uh, similar it is to the reason he left our nation. And I know there's revivals going on and I know there's some wonderful things happening, but they're all happening through people that are welcoming the king back. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And uh, uh, not only welcoming him back, but inviting him back. Amen. According to 2 Samuel chapter 15, King David was betrayed by his own son, Absalom, who rose up against him and behind his back orchestrated a rebellion, orchestrated a takeover. He got King David's loyal subjects to follow him against his own father and his father's kingdom. He unseated his own father from the throne. And Absalom is a representative of rebellion, disobedience, disrespect, 
and dishonor to the king and everything that the king stood for. He and his followers rejected the king. And this is exactly what we're seeing in the streets of our nation today. And I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about the king of kings and the Lord of lords is being rejected in our streets today. The king had been absent for some time, but it wasn't because he had left voluntarily. It was because he was driven out. He was pushed out. He was absent because the people's loyalty had been lost to another leader, Absalom. He was betrayed just like he's being betrayed today in our country, not only by the people in the nation, but by his own churches. And, you know, people think, well, I'm going to have to straddle the fence on this one. This is too explosive of an issue. And that's another problem with the church. She's been straddling the fence too long. I might be a small-time preacher. I don't have great oratory skills. But I'm telling you, I know the Word of God, and I follow the Word of God. That part is simple. I already know the answer before the question is asked because I know what the Word says. And that's the answer that you're going to get. That's the answer that anybody's going to get if they ask me a question. I'm going to answer with the Word of God. And some people are saying, I'm going to straddle the fence on this one because this is too explosive. And Jesus said, if you're not for him, you're against him. There is no fence straddling with the Lord. If a church or Christian is not standing with him, then Jesus said, you're standing against him. There's no neutral place in this thing. You know, praise and adoration for this king had been changed and redirected to another. And faithfulness to this king had now become faithlessness and loyalty shifted to someone else. That's usually how a takeover happens. That's usually how a coup happens. But the person that wants to overthrow the kingdom and take over has to promise the people something better than what the current administration or kingdom is offering them. And so they offer them things that are really pie-in-the-sky type of stuff. And it's always at the expense of another person. And that's exactly what Absalom did. He said his father was behind the times. That kingdom was behind the times. David had a, 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 an advisory board of elders, and they were behind the times. And it's time for a younger generation to step up, a younger generation to take over, because we know better. And remember, King David didn't choose to leave. It was never his desire to leave. The throne was rightfully his, and he belonged on that throne. He left because the people rejected him and pushed him out. He left because his once faithful and committed followers had turned their backs and rebelled against him. He left because his followers deserted him and directed their love, commitment, adoration to another person. And the people followed Absalom because they thought they were getting a better deal with him, more attention, more care, more benefits. He appealed to the younger generation. And they felt like they were entitled to things that they didn't work for or earn. 
I'm not making this up. Go to the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th chapter of 2 Samuel and see for yourself. They wanted free health care, free education, free amnesty. That's what it would be in a modern-day society. Free government aid, free food, free paychecks. And their mantra was, if it's free, it's for me. Follow Absalom. David expects you to work and earn the things that you want. Absalom will give it to you. And they left King David because Absalom promised them a better life, but he didn't tell them that the better life would be for him and his staff. But it would be at the expense of David's loyal followers. I almost blew it in that one. (laughs) But this is such a picture of our nation today. In the hearts of the people, they had a new leader now. They went from a godly leader to a carnal, fleshly leader. They went from a spiritual leader that followed after the heart of God to a carnal leader that followed after the flesh. He appealed to the people's flesh, not what was best for them, but what he thought they wanted the most. That's what he promised them. That's what he appealed to. I better move along right here. Like my good friend, Brother Flynn, says, let's move on a little bit further. (laughs) Yeah, let's scoot. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But they'd be sure to get their way now. Surely Absalom would be much better for them. They wanted something new, something different, something to make them feel good, but at someone else's expense. And the problem today is that we live in a nation full of churches where the king has been absent for some time. And he's not absent because he chose to leave. He's not absent because he wanted to leave. He's not absent because he didn't have the right to the throne. He didn't have the right to be there. It was his church. He started it. He's got every right to be there. He's absent because people's loyalty has changed and their love and commitment has turned to someone or something else now, and they drove him out. God's no longer welcome in many church services. He no longer has a place in people's hearts. Some churches are ashamed of him. That's why they won't preach about the blood. They won't preach about the gifts of the Spirit. They won't preach about redemption. They won't preach about holiness. They won't preach about all the things that God says to preach about because it will make people uncomfortable. And they don't want to lose anybody. They don't want to insult anybody. They don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Now, I have never hurt anybody's feelings. My wife is laughing. I preach the word. And if your feelings got hurt, it was because the word hurts your feelings. Amen. Sometimes the word is hard on you. Sometimes the truth is hard on you. Sometimes you'll feel like you've been insulted by the truth. But that don't mean we stop preaching truth because you might get your feelings hurt. I, I, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm sure there's times where I held back where I shouldn't have because I was afraid it might offend somebody or hurt their feelings. But for the most part, 99% of the time, 
I tell the truth even though I know it's going to offend somebody. But I just pray that, I, that they realize it's something that needs to change. And it didn't come from me. It came from God. If you get offended, you're getting offended at God, not me. Amen. 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 Oh, hallelujah. But like I said earlier, Paul said, we're the temple of the living God. And let me tell you something. Every temple has a throne. Who's sitting on the throne of your heart? Who's sitting on the throne in your temple? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it God? Who has a place of honor in your heart? You know, he may leave a a brick and mortar building, but he'll never leave the church. He said that. He said, he'll never leave us or forsake us. But unfortunately, we leave him and forsake him. And then we wonder, where did God go? He didn't go anywhere. He's in the same place he was when you left him. That's what repent means. Go back to that place where you missed it and pick up where you left off. That's where God is, right? The last place you missed it. The last place he said to turn right and you turn left, that's where he's at. Go back to him. You want to know why people have become so rebellious in this country? And unfortunately, in a large portion of the church, because just like Absalom, the devil has painted a greener pasture just on the other side of the cross. Here's the cross. But on this side of the cross is a green pasture. On this side, you got to pick your cross up and carry it. And that sounds too much like work. And I'm telling you, maybe the grass is greener on the other side, but it still has to be mowed and trimmed. And I don't care how you slice it. To me, the church of Jesus Christ is not even close to where it should be. Uh, you know, you want to know, what does the church look like? Read the book of Acts Amen. and tell me how close we are to the description of the church in the book of Acts and the description of the church of the modern day society. Tell me where we're at. We're light years apart. And it shouldn't be that way. I mean, the, the church in Acts was full of power, full of glory, full of victory, full of the Holy Spirit. And the reason is, is that the king was present in that church. He's absent in this one. We've replaced the king. Don't shout me down on this now. But we've replaced the king with celebrities, sports figures, movie stars, money, all kinds of things. And we've even replaced the king with ourself. We've taken his place and sat in his place, we sat ourselves on the king's throne through secular humanism, the worship of oneself. We've replaced the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost with me, myself, and I. The church has drifted in so many areas because a lot of preachers are preaching a watered-down version of this gospel, the one Jesus Christ preached. They're preaching a watered-down version for many different reasons. The main reason is they don't want to lose a tithe payer by hurting his feelings. They don't want to offend somebody. But what they don't realize is they are offending God. Of course, God can't be offended. But you know what I'm saying. They would rather offend God than offend somebody that don't give a flying flip about them or their church. 
Hallelujah. Don't shout me down just because I started preaching good. But in the process of preaching this gospel, they don't realize, but they're pushing God out. He's not going to be a witness to that gospel. He's not going to be a witness to another gospel. He left. We're supposed to preach the same gospel he preached, the same gospel Paul and the disciples preached. And there's all kinds of different versions of this gospel being preached, and a lot of crazy doctrines are being taught. And, you know, that's to be expected. Jesus said there would be false teachers and false prophets and false Christ. But what really bothers me is the way that the church is eating it up. The church has itching ears, and they're going around trying to get their ears tickled. And people are being easily deceived because they won't study the word for themselves. They won't open the Bible and say, let me see if that preacher is telling the truth or not. They just take his word for it. They're like a little bird in a nest. When mama comes by with the food, they just open their big mouths and mama puts it in. That's the way a lot of the church has become. The king is absent because the church is compromised. And they become so worldly that you can't tell the difference between the church and the world anymore. And you'd think with everything that's going on in the world right now and the fact that Jesus is coming soon, that people would draw closer to God than they've ever been before. But that's not the case. People are not drawing closer to God. They're pushing him further. Church attendance should be up. And I'm sure it is in some churches. But uh, on the better part of the churches, church attendance is down. Tithing and giving is down. Commitment is down. It's hard to get 10 people together on a work day in a lot of churches. Not this church. We're going to have a lot of people here for work day. Why? Because no commitment. They don't want to commit themselves to something. And, and you know, the message of sanctification and consecration, commitments and holiness and being set apart from the world have all but been lost in the pulpits of a lot of churches in this country. That's what's wrong with America today. I'm not blaming the government. I'm not blaming those people that are out protesting and rioting. I'm not blaming none of them. I'm blaming the church. The church is supposed to be the influence in the world, not the other way around. We've allowed the world's doctrines into the church, the world's music into the church, the world's carnality into the church. And it all happened through compromise. When was the last time you heard a mainline TV preacher tell you to come out from among them and be ye separate? When was the last time you heard him say, be ye holy for God is holy? When was the last time you heard him preach on the blood of Christ or repentance or turn from your wicked ways? When was the last time? No, they're preaching everything but that. Not all of them. There's some good preachers out there. But some of your mainline preachers are a lot like Absalom. They're promising you all these things in the word of God, but they're not telling you what the condition for them promises are. They're getting fat on the promises, but it's coming from you, the loyal subjects. When was the last time you heard him preach about heaven or hell? Living a holy life. When was the last time you heard him preach against sin? They're not because that's not popular and it won't make them popular. 
I hope I'm the most unpopular preacher on Facebook this morning. There's no shortage on the prosperity message, the healing message, the faith message. And these are all good doctrines, necessary doctrines. They should all be preached. But they shouldn't be elevated above the other things that I mentioned. There's more to the gospel than those three things. And I believe in all that. I believe in the faith message, the healing message, the prosperity message. But not above everything else that God said. I, I, I'm more for people meeting the conditions to enjoy the prosperity, meeting the conditions to enjoy healing, meeting all the conditions to enjoy the promises of God, rather than God have this image of God like he's Santa Claus. If I'm just good enough, I'll get what I want for Christmas. There's no naughty list with God. And I guess we expect him to slide down the chimney and give us all these things. And we don't have to change one thing in our life. That ain't how God works. God expects you to live right before him. And if you do, all these things will be added to you. You won't have to seek after them. You know, a great deal of the church has compromised God's eternal standards of holiness right out the door along with God himself. Because God said, be holy because I'm holy. And you're to be like me. He didn't say perfect. He said holy. And I'm not just talking about external behavior of holiness. I'm not just talking about doing the right thing in front of people. I'm talking about a purity of heart that shows up on the outside. Whether you're alone or not. And this lack of a biblical godly standard has been in the parents for a long time, and the higher institutes of learning are colleges, and it's produced a generation of young adults who don't know where the boundary lines are anymore. And just like I preached Wednesday night, they have no restraints. They are running without restraint. They are doing whatever they want because they have no restraints, they have no boundaries, they have no moral compass. I'm not mad, I really ain't. The church is not what she used to be because the king has been absent for too long. And because of a lack of commitment, marriages are failing, jobs are failing, schools are failing, government is failing. And and aside from all that, the main and most important thing is that churches are failing. People just don't stick to anything anymore. It's easier to give up. And why is commitment missing from people's lives? Because it takes work. It's uh, living in a society where people will rather take shortcuts than pay the price for something. And it's starting to show up more than ever. God and church used to be an important priority in people's lives. And now if we have time, we go to church. If we feel like it, we go to church. If we have time, we think about God's word. If we have time, we'll read it. If we have time, we might pray. If we have time, we might study the word. But you know what? People don't seem to have time nowadays. People say they don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That was a lie that the church bought into. 
I can pray at home. I can watch a preacher on TV. I can have church on Facebook live or YouTube or listen to some preacher on the radio. If God didn't want you in church, he wouldn't have had his son start it, and he certainly wouldn't have had his son die for it. He didn't die for Facebook. He didn't die for uh, YouTube. He didn't die for a preaching uh, ministry on the radio. He died for a body of believers. He died for a ecclesia uh, called out from among the world people, and he wants them to assemble together. He said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, Hebrews 10, 25. It's hard to get people to come to church anymore. And let alone convince them to live right according to the word. If you can't get them to come to church, don't even bother to try to get them to live according to the word. And you know why? Because our priorities have changed. Our priorities are messed up. God is no longer that important to us. It seems like church is an option more than it is a necessity. It's a good place to go when you're in trouble or you need something. Get God off the shelf, get what you need, put him back on the shelf and go about living your life. That's not how it works. The king is absent because of a lack of commitment and a lack of consecration amongst his very own people. His house, his bone, his flesh. And because the people were not committed to King David like they should have been in the first place, it was easy for Absalom to steal their hearts away from the king and mislead them. Find something to complain about. It's easy. Find something to complain about about your pastor, and before you know it, you'll be on the outside looking in. I'll just find another church. Because that's what happens. When the devil sees the door open to gossip or complaining, he knows you're discontent, he'll show you a greener pasture. I promise you he will. And I said a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night teaching that people were being deceived because they rejected the truth of God's word. And any time you reject the truth of God's word, you open yourself up to deception. And that's exactly what a lot of the church is doing today, saying that the word is no longer relevant. We need to adjust it just like we need to adjust the Constitution. That Constitution has worked for over 200 years. There's nothing wrong with it. The word of God has worked a lot longer than that. For 6,000 years. There's nothing wrong with that either. It doesn't need to be changed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, if we're committed to God, we won't allow the devil to come in here and steal your joy. Steal your worship. Steal your praise, your testimony, your prayer, your faithfulness, your commitment, your family, or your loyalty to God. You won't allow him to steal that from you. And after David won the victory and Absalom's rebellion was defeated and it was time for David to return to his rightful place as king, he didn't return right away. He didn't go storming back in as a conqueror and forcefully take his throne back, although he had every right to do that. He would only return upon invitation by the people. He wanted to make sure they really wanted him back. And I'm telling you, if that ain't a picture of the Holy Ghost, 
And it's like I said, he's not flighty, but he's not going where he's not wanted. He's not forcing himself on nobody. You love him and you accept him the way he is. Or you don't accept him at all. He's not changing for you. And you know, the, uh, Paul said all the things that were done in the Old Testament were done as examples for us. Those that are living in the last days, in, the, in these times, they're examples. If this ain't an example of what this country looks like right now, and if this ain't a, an example of exactly what we need to do right now, then my name ain't what it is. Finally, the priests, the pastors went to the people and asked, why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? We need to bring him back to the church before we try to give him, bring him back to this country. Amen. Finally, the people realized that all the strife they were experiencing, all the hell that broke loose in the kingdom, all the civil unrest was all caused by what? The king's absence. You want to know what's wrong with America today? The king is absent. He's absent from government. He's absent from our schools. He's absent from our courthouses. He's absent from people's minds and hearts. He's absent. That's what's wrong with America today. And so these leaders realized they needed to invite him back. They needed to invite him to take his rightful place on the throne and in their lives and on the thrones of their hearts. He needs to be asked to come in. You don't get saved automatically. Why? You have to ask to come into the kingdom. Yes. And, and it is by invitation only, except the Father invites you. You don't have an invitation. That's right. I think it's time for our nation to follow the example that we see in the Old Testament in Israel and, and repent. And, and the repentance has to start with the church. God's concerned about the whole world. He loves the whole world so much that he gave his only begotten son. But this church is his baby. This church is something he started. This church, Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. And the gates of hell might prevail out there in the streets, but they shouldn't prevail in his church. This is his sanctuary. And it ain't supposed to be used the way they think it's being used today. Uh, let's move on a little bit further. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says, If my people which are called by my name, my people, my name, his house, his bone, his flesh, his body, if those people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear them from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Is this what we need? Do we need our sins forgiven and our land healed? Yes. We want God to hear us. We want God to forgive us our sins and, and heal our land. But we haven't humbled ourselves. We haven't sought his face. And we haven't turned from our wicked ways. We want the promise without the conditions being met. And I'm here to tell you this morning, like it or not, that's not how it works. God says, you do this and I'll do that, not the other way around. He said in James, draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. 
Who's supposed to draw a knife first? We are. But we're not doing it. What would this nation look like if we hadn't pushed the king out to begin with? Do you think it would look like it looks today? But the handwriting is on the wall. I read this in Daniel 5. Matter of fact, uh, this was going to be the start of a message. But I went this other direction first. Maybe I'll preach this one later. But the handwriting is on the wall. This is the message that was written. It said, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. Mene means our days are numbered. Tekel means weighed, that we've been weighed in the balance and have not measured up. And Parson means our kingdom is divided and will be given to another if we don't change our wicked ways. If we don't change, this is prevalent to today's society. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. It's time for the church. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. It's time for the church to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. Then God will hear us. Then God will forgive us. Then God will heal our land. Not the other way around. Let's pray. And I mean, let's pray. I'm going to lead the prayer, but uh, you can just tag along. And, and all you have to do is say, God, I agree with what the pastor is praying. And you'll be a part of that prayer. If you don't agree with it, don't agree with it. Don't lie to God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning. We humble ourselves as a church. I humble myself as a pastor and as a representative of at least this church that we're standing in this morning, this body of believers right here. I stand like Daniel stood. I stand and repent for our church. And again, if you can agree with this, so be it. If you can't, then just put it in neutral and coast. But I pray you agree with this. You said to humble ourselves, to seek your face. Lord, we're seeking your face this morning. We come before you humbled. We recognize and realize that the king has departed from a great part of this nation and a great part of the church. And Lord, we want him back. I know this sounds funny to a lot of people. It sounds even funny coming out of my mouth. But we're inviting you back. We're inviting you to sit on the throne that rightfully belongs to you. We're inviting you to sit in the church and have fellowship with us. The church that you started, that you gave your life for, that you shed your blood for. We're inviting you back. We realize and recognize that we need you. We realize and recognize that we need to do things your way, according to the word of God, according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we yield to you this morning. We ask you to come back. Come back and take your church back, Lord, first of all. And then God anoint the church to go out there and bring peace to a restless world. I know we already see this happening throughout our country Sean Fucht is out there holding mighty revivals. Mario Murillo and others are holding mighty revivals. 
They're reaching people, people with open hearts, people with open spirits. And they're turning the tide of this country, but it's happening too slow. God, we need you back. We need you back as king. We need you back as, first of all, sitting on the throne of our hearts in the temple of God, your temple. We need you sitting on the throne of the church once again. And God, we pray that every pastor, every church leader, every congregant would yield to your spirit. Recognize that they've been wrong in pushing you away. Realize that they must turn and repent and do things your way. Realize that wherever it was that you left the church, that's where we have to return to. And so, Lord, we return to that place this morning. I pray for everybody in this place this morning, everybody in our Facebook Live audience, if they agree with this, poor, uh, this prayer, I believe that they will be a part of it and they'll reap the benefits of it. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us that much that you just won't give up on us. You won't quit. So we repent. We want you to return to us. We return to you first. We draw nigh to you first. And we thank you, Lord. You said when we pray according to your will, we know this is your will. We know that the church is your will. And so we pray according to your will. You said that you hear us. And not only that you'll hear us, but we can have the confidence that we will have the petitions that we desire of you. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. So we thank you, Lord. We pray according to your will. We thank you that the answer is already here in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let this be the start of something good. Amen. Let this be a return of the king. Look forward to his return. Be out there looking, expecting him to return. And when we, I'm not saying he ever left our church, but what I'm saying is that we should be expecting him every Sunday. This is his church, his throne. We should expect him to be here. He said where two or three are gathered in his name, not the government's name, not somebody else's name. There shall he be in the midst of them. Amen. God bless you. I'm getting off my soapbox now. I appreciate you so much. Uh, if you get a chance, tune in to Pastor Flint in Freeport, Illinois. He's getting ready to preach, I think, 1130 our time. He's probably already started. Tune in and listen to him. I've been following him every week, and I'm telling you, it's really been a, uh, made a difference in my life. He's got a revelated word, and we need to hear it. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.